Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 18? John chapter 18, we're going to pick up in verse 15. John chapter 18, we're going to pick up in verse 15. As you're turning, let me give us just a reminder of how to read the Bible well. It's a lesson that I'm pretty sure all of us husbands know very well. If you hear something repeated four times, it's probably important. We're reading today the act of Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. It is recorded in every gospel account. Do you think it's important? You betcha. Peter is the paradigm of every zealous Christian. And I want to make that very clear. In the midst of this great moral failing, we see Peter is a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he blows it. And guess what? We often blow it. Each one of us in this room have blown it. Or if I can put it another way, Have you ever written a check with your mouth that you couldn't cash? Have you ever gotten too close to the fire and gotten a little burned? I think there's a great sorrow. We see this even written in our confession of faith. Of the great sorrow that comes when a man falls into serious sin. When he's overcome by a violent temptation. There is pangs that haunt us. Forever. We sent some of these in Peter's writings. There's this, this tinge of remorse. John Bunyan, he was a great author of the Pilgrim's Progress. Next to the Bible, the most read book in the English language. He wrestled with these thoughts, these pangs, for a long time. You could say that his soul walked with a limp. Today, I want us to heed the warnings of Peter and see how we can avoid making the same missteps. And we're just going to do that in our sermon in a sentence. Stay low to be steady. Stay low to be steady. Let's pray and then we'll read. Heavenly Father, you have given us in your word a firm foundation. That though the mountains may fall into the hearts of the sea, your word endures forever. And I pray, Father, that as we open this word, that you would reveal its truth to our hearts, that you may help us to build our life upon it, that it may be to us a firm foundation to stand on today and a light for our path tomorrow. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. 
So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You're not one of the, also one of these man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. Now the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secrets. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with the hand, saying, Is this how you answer your high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Ananias sent him bound to Calpius, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You are not also one of these man's disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. As we turn to our passage, we find a sandwich of sorts, don't we? Jesus' faithfulness is sandwiched between the two unfaithful accounts of Peter. Peter's lack of faithfulness. Now we know how Jesus got here. This has kind of always been part of the plan. We, we addressed this last week. But how did Peter get here? Well, in John 13, Jesus foretells of his betrayal. But Jesus doesn't say who it is who will betray him. And Peter, oh Peter, instead of simply saying, not me, Lord, Peter decided to write a check with his mouth he couldn't cash. Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. Peter goes to the extreme. His heart was lifted up. And what happens when people are lifted up? We all know how this story goes. A fall is bound to come. Three times Peter was given an out. The first time came when Jesus said, Peter, you will deny me. And Peter could have said, You know what, Lord? You're probably right. I need to stay in my lane. The second time comes in the garden when Peter cuts off the ear of the servant. Jesus get, allows them to release his disciples. The disciples flee. Except Peter. Peter didn't get the hints. And then the third time when G Peter comes to the door of the high priest's house and the door is shut, providence has barred his path and yet Peter waits. The door is opened. 
and he plunges himself right over the precipice. These three warnings are followed by three denials with his heart lifted up. Peter falls. This is a warning for us. If we are not to have the fall that we see in Peter, we must not allow our heart to be lifted up. That brings us back to our original statement. Stay low to be steady. To understand how, let's, let's reflect on two parts of Peter's night and draw some practical applications. The first, if we see the value of being brought low, we must understand the danger of being lifted up. What better example is there of being lifted up than Peter's self-exaltation? He's exalting himself. Now we have to be honest with us for a moment. God has made us all with a little bit different temperament. Some are very quiet and low and, and, and they like to stay out of the way. Some, like Peter, are very loud and proud. We all have different temperaments, but they're all geared because of the sin in our hearts to have a selfish bent. To lift themselves up. Those who work hard have to work harder than everyone else. Those who have a sad, miserable life, their life has to be more miserable than everyone else. Our heart is bent that way. Now look at Peter. Peter had a loud personality, didn't he? He was loud and proud. Matthew 16, Jesus says, Who do people say that I am? Who's the first one that pipes up? It's Peter. You're the Son of God. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter pipes up. Jesus is walking on water. Everyone's scared. Who's the first one to pipe up? It's Peter. Who walks on water with Jesus? It's Peter. After the resurrection of Jesus, Peter keeps this loud personality. They see Jesus from the shore, and what does Peter do? He just jumps and swims, while everybody else continues getting in the fish. That is a temperament that will serve Peter well after Pentecost. But right now, it's a handicap to him. Contrary to the explicit prophetic word of Jesus Christ, contrary to the express command of Jesus Christ, contrary to his own fearful impulses, Peter wedges himself between a rock and a hard place. He's too proud to go home, too fearful to go forward. His pride pushes him to the precipice of a dangerous fall. And alongside being loud, Peter also had a streak of being lazy. Peter had a streak of being lazy. His heart was high and it was not steady. A, a, a heart that is lifted up, someone that is haughty, rarely takes the posture of dependence. We remember from Luke's account and Matthew's account where they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus is going to pray, he takes Peter, James, and John, and what does Jesus command them to do? Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. Now what does Peter do? He takes a nap. He takes a nap. Now isn't that peculiar to us? Here's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the flesh, He upholds all things by the word of His power. And this Jesus, on the most highly anticipated night in all of redemptive history, when He should probably get a good eight hours of sleep, what is Jesus doing? He's praying. And here is Peter, a man of dust and ashes. He takes a nap in relative comfort. Sounds very much like Psalm 30. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But you hid your face from me, and I was dismayed. Peter was lazy. He was lazy. And as I've read this account countless times over my life, one question struck me this time around. What was Peter's plan? What did Peter hope to accomplish on this dark night of despair? Was Peter seeking to be the the disciple that followed Jesus to the end so that he could go back to his brothers and say, where were you? I was there. You big old babies. What was Peter thinking? Oh, was Peter going to be the Savior of Jesus? The Savior who saved the Savior? Peter's pride would swell to unfindable proportions. And yet, in this issue, we cannot fault Peter. How many connections do we pursue? How many actions, courses of actions do we take? Simply to bolster our image in the eyes of another. Just make our pride swell. How many times have I heard someone say, I've got to make my mark? Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, his greatest goal in life was to be remembered. In our social media age, we've got to be seen, we've got to be heard, we've got to be known, we've got to be appreciated. There is no good outcome for Peter's soul, nor our own if we follow the same course of action. Unless Jesus intervenes. And Jesus does. Jesus does. The only remedy for exaltation is humiliation. The repeated refrain in Scripture is that God humbles the proud. He brings down the haughty. John purposely situates Peter's faithlessness with Jesus' faithfulness to humble us. What do we see in this comparison? Notice that Jesus stands before his accusers, 
calm and cool as a cucumber. Peter, however, is a nervous wreck. Jesus stares down the certainty of death, composed, because Jesus knows this is where he is supposed to be. Peter, however, we get the feeling of unease because Peter knows he's not supposed to be there. Like a child that is caught at night in a place that he shouldn't be, he stands out the door looking this way and that. When they ask him a question, he answers it impulsively. I do not know him. He's driven by fear. This once loud and proud Peter looks like less of a man next to the calm and cool Jesus Christ. Jesus willingly endures suffering. He willingly endures the fire of man's wrath while Peter simply warms himself with it. Jesus is a man with nothing to hide. He did everything in public. Everything. He had a clean conscience. When he was struck, he did not threaten. He did not raise his voice. He suffered an unjust trial. He, he suffered false witnesses. He suffered a judge who was trying to incriminate him. And yet he was steady. What about Peter? Peter meets a little girl. A little girl. And is fearful. He's not steady. Peter meets the men who arrested his Savior. And he warms himself around their fire. Peter meets someone who is in the garden who saw the glinting of the sword and the shedding of the blood. And he says, Peter, I saw you there. And in the face of the truth, Peter denies the truth. He was unsteady. He capitulated. Whereas Jesus steadfastly upholds the truth. Do you see the difference here? Jesus descends lower and lower into his humiliation and he becomes more and more resolute. Peter ascends higher and higher in his pride and he becomes less and less steady. In Aesop's fables, it tells of a turtle. This turtle was jealous because the ducks would land in his pond and tell him of all that they'd seen. The tree lines, the flowers, the beautiful fields, and the turtle was sad. And the duck said, look, we'll put a stick in our mouth, and you put your mouth on the stick between us, and we'll fly you and show you everything we've seen. The turtle says, great idea. They take off. As the turtle's flying through the clouds, He's seeing the flowers below. He's seeing the tree lines. He's feeling the wind in his hair. It's wonderful. And then flies up a crow. 
And the crow says, if I can use the words of a faithful friend, by Jingo, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. This must be the king of the turtles. And the turtle says, you're certainly right. And when the turtle opened his big mouth, how do you think that ended for him? It ended in a horrible fall. Do we not see something very similar in Peter? John places these accounts side by side for a reason. Our pride frames the perfect humility of Jesus Christ. In His suffering, Jesus was led near and near to us in our state of sin and misery. In His humiliation, He had a fellowship with us in, in flesh and blood and sorrow. Peter's pride, Peter's exaltation did not bring him nearer to God. It brought him nearer to the devil and more susceptible to a fall. And fall he did. And fall we will if we do not stay low and steady. Now how do we do that? How can we avoid these tragic missteps and avoid the sorrow that afflicted Peter? How can we be low and stay steady? Let's take it up in two paths. First, we stay low. We pursue the path of humility. In the ancient world, humility was never considered a virtue. Nietzsche went as far as to call it a vice. Now what does Scripture say? It says that the Son of God was laid in a food trough, that His life was nothing but a downward descent into further humility. And this pattern of which we see in Jesus Christ is a pattern the Spirit forms in us. The bigger Jesus gets in our life, the smaller we become. The two rise and fall together. It can be no other way. But how often do we consider this in our life? J.C. Ryle says something on this passage that has just kind of been a burr in my saddle. He says, That year, Calpius was promoted to high priest. And he said, What a dreadful promotion it was. Because in that promotion, he was made the ringleader of the men who crucified Jesus Christ. That promotion damned his soul. That's something to think about. That's a scary thought. We live in America. It's the American dream. We've got to move up to the top. We use our wealth to buy comforts that function more as status symbols than things of necessity so we can elevate our status in our own eyes and the eyes of others. We pursue promotions. We move up in the world so we can foster a sense of dependency, self-dependency, independency, robbing our lives of devotion to Christ. We spend our time in idle gossip 
throwing mud at people beneath us so others will think that we are okay. Even people can become faithfully devoted to church just so they can be put in a position where they can be seen. What's the end of these actions? Are any of these the path of humility? There was a man named St. Martin. Before he became known as St. Martin, he was in the Roman army. And they're walking through a snow-struck town in northern Gaul. And there's a beggar shivering in the snow. And everybody walks by this beggar and pays him no attention. Well, St. Martin doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a blanket. He has one thing. He has his thick fur cloak. It is his symbol of status and hierarchy in the Roman military. What does he do with it? He cuts it in half. And he gives one half to the beggar. St. Basil, Basil the Great once said that the more broken we are, the more readily Christ is seen in us. Are we willing to cut our greatest source of pride and status in the world that we may be low and more near to Jesus Christ? That is a counter-cultural thought today. But it is necessary if we're going to be near to Jesus Christ. Lastly, we stay low and we stay steady. What do I mean by this? Growing up, we had a fiberglass boat, about eight foot long. Someone my size could easily put it in the back of a pickup. Put a little trolling motor on it, it was great. We take it out to a big lake, and it was a wonderful boat, except when the wind starts blowing. Because that little boat just does this. Well, one day we're standing up fast fishing, and the wind picks up. And that boat is going nuts. What do you think we did? We sat down. We got as low as we could. And we held on to the side of the boat so that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro. Being low and being humble is only half the battle. The other half is holding on tight. Holding on to Jesus Christ. Yes, Peter was restored because Jesus Christ prayed for him. That's all well and good. But how much could Peter have been spared heartache? How much assurance could Peter have had if he too held on to Jesus Christ? How much different would his life have been if he had spent that night watching and praying? How much different would his life have been if he'd obeyed Jesus' commands? If he would have kept a steady grip? To me, that's the biggest difference between pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost preacher. Peter. After Pentecost, you know what I see Peter doing a lot of? Praying. Reading. Staying near to Jesus Christ. Each of us here may have a different temperament. Some of us in the passions of our youth are prone to forget Jesus. 
Some in the pride of our flesh are prone to forget Jesus. Some of us in our despair are prone to forget Jesus. In these moments of our extremities, that is when Satan assails us the most and our devotion must be even more to Jesus Christ. Alexander Verrett once said, When we pray, we are nearer to Jesus than the apostles were. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? When you read your Bible, you hear Jesus more clearly than those who heard him on the mount in Matthew 5 through 7. When we obey the Word of God, we obey Him with greater power than those who distributed the loaves and fishes on that faithful day in the wilderness. These three components are essential if we are to be steady. Ships remain steady by casting their anchors down. Hebrews 4 says that we stay steady by casting our anchor up into heaven. To be firmly rooted where Jesus is. To find steadiness in Him. How are we going to do it? We've got to hold on to Jesus Christ. In closing, I'm well aware that every one of us in this room have fallen into serious sin, have given in to violent temptation, and have had our assurance rocked at some point. Today is a day of repentance where we confess our sin. We lay it upon Jesus Christ and we turn to Him. That's part of it. We're going to keep reading in John and we're going to find Peter does the same thing. There is restoration for us. But I picked on John Bunyan in the beginning of the sermon. Let me end with John Bunyan right here. John Bunyan says this, He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble shall ever have God to be his guide. Let us today stay low and steady ourselves with two hands firmly gripping Jesus Christ. Now let's do that by praying together. Heavenly Father, we as a people are entering a time of much temptation. The powers of darkness seem to be brooding in this land in a greater power than we have seen them in some time. I pray that you would help us to stay near the light, that we may overcome the darkness by the light that comes from Jesus Christ. Father, help us to stay beneath the cross. Let it be our only glory. Father, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.